Hello and welcome to the latest episode of EM Insider with me, your host, Crystal Higgins. Joining me today is Juliana Hansbaden, a Senior Emerging Market Sustainability Portfolio Manager with 91. In this chat, myself and Juliana got to talk in our Cityware studios about her views on successful sustainable investing, her current bets, and how she manages very negative externalities in EM holdings. Looking at the emerging markets and how they've taken a hit this year, um, could you just, before I go into your new role and the strategy involved with that, mm. could you actually just, what has it been like mm. being a sustainable emerging markets portfolio manager this year, especially? Well, it's been unusually volatile, sure. that's for sure. <laughs> um, there's been some some really difficult events that we've had to deal with, which actually... Um, as an EM investor, we've never really had had to deal with for since the, I guess the beginning of of the asset class being of 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 a, of a material size. Wow. So so I'm thinking about the invasion of Ukraine, which was a major military aggression. Then that led to many EM managers, including myself, deciding that actually Russia wasn't investable anymore. Um, and um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is large corporates, large corporations, often with good market shares and leadership, being very volatile because of external factors that mm. the companies cannot control. So they're doing what they should be doing um, mm. in, in most cases. I'm thinking about companies like Alibaba in China, for example, but being impacted by, in, in this case, the zero COVID policy and the the, the changes around that, whether becoming more strict or becoming looser and and that impacting the vo- the volatility of a company that really should be quite stable um given given its strong position mm. so that's that's something the volatility and then and then the unusual events the geopolitical tensions um but i think that's also an an opportunity in many ways it's funny in my mind you know, I know this year feels like it's been 10 years already. A lot of my thinking was going to be asking you about, you know, um, your outlook into 2023. But even just hearing you mention Russia and, you know, all the geopolitical tensions that we've seen. Mm. Actually, let's go, let's go back to February. Yeah. yeah. What was the immediate aftermath for you and your fund and your decision making after the the, the, the war broke out? Right. Well, I, I joined um, I joined 91 in January and actually I. Upon oh joining, goodness, yes, yeah, yes, just joined, yeah. I set up a model portfolio, so I hadn't launched. So my my current strategy was launched. What was it the, in January? What was your what was your thinking in January? How are you going to go? And then February hits. How did you have to yes, pivot then? Yes. Um. So it was a, a new company, and I actually just had come. So I changed jobs, and I'd had my um uh, my sort of a break between a slight, you know, because of the because me moving to to London, and um you left Nordia. Yes, exactly. Right. So yeah. I had I had a bit a, a bit of you know, time to, to do that. And, and then, and then starting a new job. And actually I just had a baby as well, which was oh, kind of, <laughs> kind of made things uh, more interesting. Mm. And so um, coming, coming, coming into 91 and joining 91 and then having, having, having this awful event. Um, I was, although there was of course an escalation, I was still taken by surprise by, by, by this very self-destructive act that I, that is that is hard to understand because ultimately it's a it's a lose for everyone. Because mm. um, in January, I think people were saying it's not going to happen. It's yeah, it's a, it's a bluff. Right. So so at ninety one, I think my my colleagues were actually very much seeing this escalation and and sort of 
um, within my team flagging it as as something very concerning. So, um, and again, I wasn't because my fund wasn't live yet. I was preparing the launch and I just launched my paper portfolio, which I was going to run until the launch of my strategy on the 28th of September, which was my launch date. So when you say paper portfolio. Yes, it means that? basically that because it takes a while to set up a new a new strategy, obviously when leaving my, uh, leaving Nodi Asset Management, I then off gave up the management of that fund. And then coming into 91, um, starting at 91, I was then preparing for the launch of my strategy at 91, okay, gotcha. which in many ways was going to be very similar to the one I used to run, but I still had to do the preparation internally in terms of getting everyone aligned with what I was going to do, getting the support from different parts of the organization, getting all the regulatory approvals, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. The, the invasion happened around the time when I just set up my portfolio. So it was yeah, it was quite a... Quite Are you blindsided by it? Um, no, I think it's, well, it's sort of, I'm a bottom-up investor, so I care about individual companies, and I'm not normally, unless unless it's a, it's a really important factor for a business, what happens around it, so the macroeconomics or geopolitics, I don't normally spend much time analyzing that. I'm, an, I'm a bottom-up um, uh, stock picker, but... In this case, of course, it was a very a dramatic event that then that ultimately just meant I didn't want to be invested in Russia as a sustainable emerging markets portfolio manager. I did not want that exposure, although, of course, I was never invested with the government. I was invested with individual companies. So, okay. but still, I thought that was the right thing to do. So, so that was um, again before I had launched the strategy officially. How much did you have to divest out of? Russia. Well, yeah, there thereabouts. Was it was it quite sizable or? Um, it's actually already was not was, even before was never was actually not a large part of 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 the universe because mm -hmm. of um other you know the growth of Asia, um Russia being relatively less successful in becoming a developed or, gr or gradually becoming more developed mm. due to for for a number of reasons. So it was it was not a, a huge part of the universe. Anyway, but it's but it does, but it's still a, um, um, you know, it's still it's still a loss in a way because it because it's a part of of uh, of Eastern Europe, which um, which 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 acts as a it's as 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 all areas in, in emerging markets, they all contribute towards opportunities and diversification diversification in the portfolio, and losing one of them is is never good, but it's it's something that we can absolutely deal with um, because I, I, I'm a high conviction stock because I'm looking for the best 30 to 50 companies to own. Okay. So the war's just broken out. You've just started doing your role. So how, I know you're like, you know, a conviction bottom up stock picker, but you were brought on to do something quite new. Where, am, I, am I right in saying for 91? So what has been your strategy from the beginning of the year on? How have you been building your could you just yes. just talk about your investment style your sure. approach and you know how you've been constructing your portfolio since the beginning of the year absolutely um so i was i joined i joined an existing so in a way it was new and not new okay. because i joined an existing platform an existing sustainable equity team and um and that was one of the the, the attractions of joining 91 because my colleagues have had already launched a successful global environment strategy uh, and and earlier, um, just right around the time that I joined, the global sustainable equity strategy was launched as well, and that and that sort of had already created this ecosystem for research, sustainable equity research that I could join and benefit from. 
and the philosophy around sustainability that that again was one of the reasons that I joined the fact that we do the sustainability research bottom up by the analysts and the PMs on the team rather than centralized in a separate ESG unit mm. was is is key for being successful i think in investing sustainably and b- really building conviction around sustainability when choosing companies so that already existed so it wasn't new in that sense but what was new is that we didn't have an emerging market sustainable equity strategy within listed equities at at 91 and um and that's the reason that i was was hired and i think what what works really well is that 91 is by origin an emerging markets investment organization with its origins in South Africa and it has a number of sustain um successful emerging markets equities and fixed income strategies mm. and therefore joining uh, joining 91 it was quite it was quite natural to me and it's um it's actually a lot of fun to be in an, an organization that has so much um that understands emerging markets so well and therefore can understand that sustainability in emerging markets it needs to be needs to be inclusive and needs to be um needs to be real have, have a real world impact rather than just say divestment for example um sure. as as that's the view of the overall organizations and, and and then we have different approaches on how to we benefit from or how we drive sustainability and on, on my side it's very much solutions based meaning that i tend to invest in companies that address underserved areas in in em Could you give some examples? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, uh, 90% of incremental carbon emissions or 90% of carbon carbon emissions growth comes from emerging markets. It's expected to come from emerging markets. So the idea that we're going to reach net zero as a as a world as a as a planet is impossible without emerging markets and that needs solutions. Mm-hmm. And we need to find companies that can contribute to those solutions. So that's one structural growth solutions for you at the minute when you're looking at these solutions because i know that um I, i i think it was you and a few others may have written a piece on 91 talking about too much of people's chat about the aim for sustainable investment is looking at what hasn't worked in the past or looking backwards when we have to be looking forward i think this is what you're saying yeah. essentially and that you have yes. to move with the changing business world yes so How does that look in the so, EM world? Yeah, and it's it can be very it can be very very types of like different types of businesses. It can be a company that makes EV batteries, which is quite obvious how that contributes to to decarbonization. Um or it can be a software company that helps the construction industry save time and money during the construction process. And because of the carbon intensity of the materials used when when building and this is particularly this company is called Glodon and it's a chinese company mm. so and the and the construction industry in china is very carbon in- intensive due to the materials used when constructing buildings and by digitalizing that industry um carbon emissions can be saved so it doesn't always have to be um a power plant right that is that is run on on on, on solar power for example or it doesn't always have to be it it it's it sort of we're looking for solutions across the board because we think that to reach net zero lots of industries need to change um and become more efficient from a um and reduce their carbon emissions and find solutions to be more more efficient so those are two examples but other areas of structural growth are financial inclusion for example a third of the world's adult population does not have access to to financial services so they don't have anything they don't have a bank account or and you know no insurance policy not no savings um mm-hmm. nothing 
Mm. Um, and 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 that is that is staggeringly high. I think I, I was also when I f- first saw that statistic, it's just very very high. And most of them are working or sorry are living in emerging markets, and that just becomes a growth opportunity. So it's not it's not necessarily for me. It's not about finding. It's not about predefining the growth opportunities and then finding the companies. It's to narrow down my universe um, using different metrics and then looking for interesting businesses and then seeing what what are they growing where is their growth coming from so that's how i identify the growth areas okay. but but the big ones are decarbonization financial inclusion um um access to digital infrastructure as as three examples i was just reading this um shortly before you arrived the eu saying that they're going to um they've got plans to certify removals of carbon from the atmosphere and what people are saying now is this could this lead to greenwashing if not about that topic specifically the idea of um this esg and sustainability backlash you know words like that there has seemed to be Mm. a growing kind of people are people kind of Mm. a bit grumpy about it and Mm. we're saying the sfdr is not maybe thorough enough or it's it's too stringent or, mm. you know. What's your view on that? Is it impacting emerging market flows? Mm. Um, do you think it's a serious problem? Do you, you know, what's your general take? Yeah, I, 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 just, I just think that, you know, I just think in general, just to be a successful emerging markets investor, in my opinion, mm. sustainability helps to identify growth opportunities and it helps to identify risks. And that makes me a better investor, which I think leads to better returns, which then benefits my clients who are um, who might be saving. Um, you know, this might be impacting their returns on their savings, or it might be their pensions, or it might be um, well, that's pr- the two primary areas. Mm. And the and that that is a good outcome. Now, how does one achieve that? I I think it's it's never about ultimately following the latest regulation which we obviously have to do but it's not that the regulator knows how to achieve that those returns and it's not necessarily completely quantifiable either that some external provider will tell you that this is a sustainable business okay then I'm going to buy that company my point is only when sustainability generates returns for clients uh, which I believe it does when when done correctly it is a successful way of investing. And then it has a positive outcome, not just the returns, but also the impact. And if we compromise on on that, we we stop getting the returns and we focus just on targeting some impact metrics or following what we believe the regulator is looking for, then I don't think um, we will ultimately succeed. So, and how, and, and in emerging markets, this is particularly important because uh, the data, the 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 data isn't there necessarily and the company might be publishing some data but it might not be the data that you think is important so okay. as we do the bottom up research we look for what is material to this business and look to better understand its growth opportunities and risks and then we speak to the company that we're looking to uh, that we are analyzing we might speak to their competitors we might speak with specialists that understand their industry or we might speak to an to an NGO or someone else that can help us understand the context and then evaluate the business. And that then leads, hopefully, if we do it correctly, to sustainable and successful investment, which at times we can measure impact on. 
but not always, only if we think it's credible. So as an example, we've defined financial inclusion in a in a in a strict and conservative way to make sure that we're not again going back to your question about greenwashing we're not calling any bank contributing to financial inclusion we have a number of uh, requirements so one is that it's located in a country that is suffering from financial exclusion so it needs to have a below global average bank account ownership as mm-hmm. an example or it's 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 actually our first criteria then it's whether the company is serving um a number of predefined priority areas like small mean, medium enterprise lending or providing mortgages to mid to low income earners in that country or if it's um um or if it's microfinance so we predefine these areas then we have this test that at least 30% of the business um balance sheet or revenues or income needs to come from these areas and and only then we'll look for ways to measure it which normally is in not available in a, an external provider report or um in the, usually not even in the company sometimes but not always in the company's own reports even if the company has a sustainability report and then we need to ask the, the company to provide it to us which they usually do because we have good relationships with our with our companies and we're long-term shareholders mm-hmm. only then do we successfully in my opinion invest sustainably and measure impact and then comes the regulation where we basically try to classify our fund and it's what we do at 91 is mm. as as correctly and as conservatively as possible and then whether that's article 8 on or 9 depends mm. right depends on 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 the strategy and what we think is suitable but we will never we'll never squeeze ourselves into a strategy that and um, into a category that isn't that isn't correct just because we um we we won't necessarily agree always with what the regulator has decided but we need to live and operate in that environment and so whatever is correct and then we explain to our clients why have we chosen this approach why aren't we article 9 why are we article 8 for example which is okay. the case of my strategy yeah. and um and with the upcoming uk regulation as well then you know who knows exactly which you know where we will be classified but we'll do what is what is right in terms of um not overpromising because we might then compromise on 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 our process and our philosophy. Okay. Well. Um because I I'm interested in an, another another point. Um I think I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure if you made it. Um 91, you know, a, a point made by 91 about, you know, like good eggs, bad eggs. And yeah. it's really really I know it's quite a simplistic way of putting yeah. it, but it's a really good way of putting it. You know, viewing uh, to to not view emerging market opportunities through the 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 lens that, that with that ESG lens that you might in more developed countries. Yeah. Um and this whole idea maybe of avoiding, you know, um embedded wealth biases and 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 all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm just wondering how you personally avoid that, you yeah. know, and what your approach bearing all that in mind is when picking your stocks. And the engagement I suppose with the companies sure. as well. Absolutely. Sure. And I would say that in general um emerging market companies get rated lower get lower ratings when scored by external providers because the data isn't available so when the data isn't available how will they know and then the- is it an assumption that they rate them lower is it kind of like well you know em em you know companies have say governance issues or workers issues so is there this kind of pitfall of throwing everyone under the same category Yeah so I think it's a com- it's a combination of 
sometimes well often there's there are genuine issues i'm not saying because these are younger economies well they're in terms of their economic development they um they're at lower levels of economic development and um and so and so yes there will be an element of weaker regulations perhaps companies with the, with some very good exceptions uh, might not always be operating as sustainably as some of the developed market peers um but but that's not always the case mm-hmm. and i think when companies do do a good job that data often isn't available in an in a format that can be easily accessible by rating providers and so they miss that and then might overemphasize something in those companies that's not working perfectly right so they don't get they they might see the bad part but not the the good part if that makes sense and so the average will be dragged down by that so the company might be get a low score mm-hmm. and they so that's one 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 example and another one is that sometimes they get it wrong because they because they uh, make assumptions they they don't have the time to to spend they don't have weeks to spend on an individual company necessarily um or or more um and so they won't won't necessarily completely know where the company sources its its soybeans for example for a company that that got um mm-hmm. you know in my in my portfolio that there was an assumption that one of my companies was sourcing their soybeans from Brazil a chinese company when they were sourcing them from northern china and in brazil soybean farming leads to deforestation but in northern china they've been growing soybeans for a very very long time and there's no real deforestation problem related to that so the whole idea that then this company got a very low score from this rating provider and so therefore that's an example again of making assumptions that are not not correct that could happen in developed markets too probably but yeah probably to a lesser extent because there would be more because the companies would probably again I'm an EM investor so I I actually don't mm. look that much at developed market companies but the, the the companies understand that they can correct these things right they could supply information to MSCI and yeah. which which EM companies might not do um sure. they they're not they haven't really gotten there yet in in they're not aware of or they yeah. might be not be too concerned about some external ratings provider and and and, and so but I think increasingly they will be It's really because on the whole idea of assumptions versus there are real problems. Yeah. Now this might be unfair for me to ask, but um and also I'm cheating a bit because I'm working on an article, so in a way it's kind of I'm getting you to answer half my homework maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm looking at um this so it's this whole idea of something vital to making the world a greener place so mm-hmm. let's just say uh an enormous em wind turbine manufacturer where there's alleges of workers issues or yeah. even forced labor i yes. say alleged right yes yes mm-hmm. what do you do there because it's so ne- that is such a necessary enormous industry that you want to do well yeah as say if you were a sustainable or you know like ESG focused article 9 fund do you is it arguable to stay invested in in a sector like that because i'm hearing different things i've got some you know i had one kind of a, i think it was a swedish fund saying no yeah. we divested two weeks ago because that is right that is you know that we are an article 9 fund and when we found out we divested straight away and then we have other people kind of saying but shouldn't we stay you know in the room what's your general thoughts on that again sorry to abandon that on you but Sure. 
if um, you could no worries. and I'm going to answer as an as a as a dark green article eight fund because okay. it's that's like dark different green it, okay yeah good. yeah oh, that's like what that. we that's, yeah, that's, that's going in a piece that's, that's going in a piece that's where we are very good um so i um I think so we call that externalities by the way which is it's so it's interesting oh. you sort of bring that so this is this is our sustainability research so our sustainability research is based on these capitals that we've developed natural um human and social and and how com- how companies impact these capitals positively and negatively mm. and the and the and the impact that they have on um is is what we call externalities and so a company that the company that this hypothetical this company that you mentioned would have these negative externalities because of the way they source their materials and or how they're produced their supply chain and i mean i i think well i have some of that those challenges i face some of that those as well i own a company called samsung sdi which makes which makes ev batteries and they are they have um they're reliant on materials that are sourced from places like the democratic republic of congo as an uh, as one as one area where they get cobalt for sure. example yeah. so So that means this there's a substantial negative externality risk there. Yes. And although we so what we would not do is just accept that. What what we would do is we would say yes, we like this company because it's contributing towards a sustainable future in emerging markets and actually globally. Mm. But what we need to do is understand how the company deals with this negative externality and and engage if they're not managing that perfectly which they ra- rarely are i mean because each every it, although we're a sustainable fund we do not claim that any of our companies are perfect because they all have negative externalities but we engage for them to uh, with them to to manage that better and better so in this case they've worked on increasing transparency of their supply chain they've committed to not sourcing cobalt from artisanal mining activities uh which w- tend to include underaged min- miners right, and yeah. so So there is still operating in this very difficult um well in a difficult environment but and sourcing their materials from there but they're working on being as transparent as possible about it and and improving how they how they um reduce some of these risks now there's no the, the, this is we also want to be as honest and transparent about it yeah, as sure. possible because because it's not it's not black and white right no. because if what what they do on the ground and how they impact their suppliers might have some other negative effects right mm-hmm. so they're not solving the problem of congo and what they might have that we would we would love for that to improve in terms of the lives of people on the ground necessarily by saying that they're just going to go with mm-hmm. formal minds um so so it's not black and white but i think it's ultimately we want we want them to be as responsible as possible and uh, and and in a case where there is a very material negative externality that o- that overshadows the business in the sense that it could cause a future cost or mm. a loss a loss of license to operate that's a business we would walk away from we would not invest in a company like that sure. even though it has a positive in- impact um uh, for example parts of the indian pharmaceutical industry is highly polluted in terms of letting their wastewater out into rivers and lakes without treating it at all and then on the one hand supplying mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals which obviously is positive but then on the other hand uh, making people sick because this water is used for farming uh, washing clothes cooking i mean it's 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 that is the type of of example this latter one where that's quite a quandary when actually they're yeah. not improving either right so mm-hmm. that is an example of a company we in an industry like that we wouldn't invest in because we don't see improvement 
the negative externality is overwhelmingly ne negative in terms of it neutralizes the positive effect of uh, of the business. And so, at, and it could get by, hit by substantial regulation and future costs. So that's how we work. And that's why externality research is so important and doing it fundamentally and thoroughly is important because that way we can understand what what how the company operates and what the impact it has and what it needs to be improved on um and and that i believe that leads to a better investment outcome as well are there any are there any um you know holdings that you divested from say this year or recently that kind of come to the forefront of your mind based on this approach that you've just said and and the reasons why yeah, I think I've this I've actually um so again because the fund is so young um I've, it was launched on the 28th of September I've actually I haven't sold any of my holdings from launch um mm. but just looking back at at companies I've I've looked at and in the past and I've decided not to include in the fund are names like Li Ning the Chinese sportswear company which I actually think is is a, is an interesting business and it's it's been a it's been a very it's been an an improving business um in terms of profitability and it's had an interesting turnaround um historically but you're but not going to include it no because it's one of those where where it's just the negative externalities is too material in the sense that cotton cotton in china grows in the xinjiang province that's where that's the major, where the majority of the cotton grows yeah and so the company might never tell me when i speak to them that that's where the cotton well they might but they won't they won't go into the details on exactly who works on those you know farms and no. and, and and how they're treated and so on and whether there's any forced labor or not i'm never going to get a confirmation of 100 percent um conviction that there is no forced labor so uh, therefore that's a type of investment i would will not invest in because i think there is a uh it's not it's not in line with what we do um in our in our strategy and also there are risks uh, that could so hit, hit the company so forced labor in that sense a red line for a dark green article 8 fund yes. or is it it is yes okay so would it would you find it quite surprising to see article 9 funds invested in places that were were you know there's like quite serious allegations of forced labor in China. Well, I don't want to say it sort of depends on I don't want to sort of I think um I, I would have to understand the context of it better but I I think where we have serious negative externalities in those types sure. of we we just need we just need to understand how material it, material it is mm. and and it and it's in in and I think in Leaning's case it would be very material um and then whether there can be improvement and engagement yeah. um and in some cases there won't be improvement mm -hmm. because the real the reality is in parts of EM companies will comply with the minimum requirement from the regulator and do nothing nothing else and then mm -hmm. you can't engage against that because it won't be successful Mm. Um, and, um, and that goes for, 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 you know, for parts of, you know, for parts of China, uh, I sure. would say. And I know that you're a bottom up stock picker, but looking into, you know, 2023, um, considering the fact that I know that EM was hit earliest this year in the negative, yeah. you know, as an EM investor, are you kind of preparing to be maybe seeing a kind of a rally earlier than other markets and are there any regions or particular sectors which you've kind of got your eye on at the at the minute for 2023 yeah. or how much yeah. different do you think 2023 is going to be from 2022 
it's yeah no are you, are you expecting I a big think, difference well i hope so a whiplash, a whiplash in in, <laughs> in so. fortune change it has been a tough year i think okay. i hope so I, I hope so and i think so because what we always tend to do mm. which is sort of human nature is to extrapolate at extremes so we extrapolate when things are going incredibly well we think they will it will continue for a long time and then we extrapolate when things are horrible as well and 2022 is going to go better. forever yeah. yeah yeah so whether that is inflation will never come come off interest rates will you know will rise for a very long time mm. and then will stay high for a very long time you know geopolitical concerns will keep escalating you know in perpetuity that sort of so thing my, my there will be another invasion of another country which is going to be awful like that sort of thing it's mm. sort of it's so extreme that it's it's very unlikely and then we need to put that into into context where we um where we have where we have views and 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 then ultimately, uh, being an, a bottom-up investor, mm. I look at the valuations of the companies and what is being priced, and then gain conviction from there. Mm. Um, and I think that this and based is based on that. Where are the most promising areas now? Looking into next year, I say? I think a lot of the gro- because I I look at underserved areas in EM. I I have a, a certain growth tilt in the portfolio. It's not it's not extreme. It's 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 not um, very pronounced, but it's there. And it means that I do have a number of holdings that are very interesting stages of their development because they've mm-hmm. been investing into new business areas, often by in the beginning by making losses or in their core areas for that matter. They might be investing in promotions and marketing. They might be um, increasing the number of employees. Uh, there might be CapEx involved, R&D, all, all kinds of different elements of CapEx and, and costs. And and often, rightly so, not always. Sometimes they've gotten the capital allocation a bit wrong, but most in most cases they've done it for a reason, um, and 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 that has also been partly driven by the boom during the pandemic, where a lot of um, a lot of they where they a lot of um, habits change and and people start using services online in a way that they hadn't done before. E-commerce is an example of that. So so they in a way so they've been investing heavily. They've been investing in a high growth phase then after the pandemic that growth came off they might be still in a way running at a at a higher cost uh trajectory than 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 maybe what's now suitable for this slightly lower growth environment although it's still it's still very um attractive from a growth perspective and so my point is that a lot, interestingly sim- simultaneously mm-hmm. across different countries in emerging markets different independent companies are making similar decisions in this in the sense that they're being more cost aware um they're not increasing their spending as much in some cases they're even dialing back on spending and at the same time the growth is 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 either increasing or or stable meaning that we're getting this interesting profitability dynamic in improving profitability um which 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 comes which is at at a time when their valuations are quite depressed So, uh, so, and that's uh, that can, that's among existing leaders and, and profitable businesses. But some of these companies have never been profitable, and so that is a very mm. interesting inflection point, right. which I think will come through. Well, hopefully next year, at least in the next three years. But it's it's we're starting to see that already, and that's actually partially driven by falling stock prices and rising interest rates, because mm. management teams. Are aware of what's what's happening with their companies, and also rising interest rates mean that they're also there is this natural um, increasing cost of capital, right, for sure, for borrowing, yeah. um, which which the, which although you know they might not need it 
that might not need it because they have strong balance sheet, there still increases the awareness of higher higher cost of incremental capital. And that mm. that makes them more conservative. And um and 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 that also as I mentioned, given that the somewhat lower growth environment is probably the right thing to do. And um and then we'll get earnings growth. Mm. And earnings growth you know, value adding earnings growth is what is what drives stock prices. And mm. so we could get a really interesting 2023. And these 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 would be companies across parts of uh, EM. But I would say they tend to be within the digital or online businesses more than some of the some of the others, because that's where the growth has been. And that's where the sort of the spending has been running at high levels. Uh, OK, um, I think. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I think it's called the penultimate thing I put you. Um, it feels like ages ago, but COP twenty seven. You know, I'm not sure if you know if you were kind of following that too 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 closely. But was there anything that jumped out at you from that? Were were you? Was it a a roaring success? <laughs> was it a I don't know a somewhat tepid affair? Um, from I, I suppose a chat within your you know you and your team in ninety one even you mm. know. Did you go in with low expectations and were you happily surprised or, you know, what was the general consensus from from you and the team, I suppose? And, and you know, do you see that impacting how you or any of the team work? I th Is I there think, any hope? Yeah, well, there's there's always hope. Um, <laughs> but I think countries getting together with different agendas, trying to agree on something is always going to be very hard um yes. especially when one country has to take a bigger hit than another country etc cetera, etc cetera. so i i i think that um it's it's hard to have very high expectations sure. um when when these events start but i i'd say there are a couple of things that were very encouraging one mm -hmm. is that one is that the us and china has resumed climate conversations and that is very thing. important yes. yeah um and then in general china being relatively very successful compared to to other countries in terms of their commitment to their um, net zero and their investment in renewables which which by the way this year is um is up 25 percent so 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 there is mm -hmm. there is movement behind the the sort of behind the, these meetings and mm -hmm. and sometimes failed negotiations there are actual things happening on the ground the the other thing that i thought was really interesting is that india has 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 sort of has called for COP twenty twenty seven to um, to phase out all fossil fuels, which has then supported by a number of other countries. Okay, and and that and that was I think a positive surprise. Now obviously they need to deliver on that, but I think that was that was a net positive for sure. And then I also thought the fact that the US is endorsing the science based target initiative. Mm. So they've what they've said is that they want their major suppliers, the federal suppliers in the US to um with the help of the carbon disclosure project um um, um ad adhere to commit to science based targets for net zero emissions. Mm. So so that gives a lot of credibility to the SBTIs, the science based target initiative, which by the way we think is the best way for companies, the best process for setting net zero targets because it's uh yeah. it, it, it's an it's an externally um it's an it's a process that's that's sort of in, uh, managed by an external provider so that we feel more 
um, adds credibility to their targets rather than them setting their own targets. Yes. Obviously, there needs to be a process around that. How did they get to these targets? Are Definitely they realistic? Definitely you look out for. If yes, you see that, that's if you the see best the SPTI, you, yes. you think, right, that's... And we want all of our holdings to commit to the SPTI and set net zero targets within the science-based target initiative mm. by 2030. That's one of the targets we have from, one of the tar- targets I have from, from my strategy. So that's that's encouraging. That's very positive, I think. It's interesting you say about India, because in India get quite a hard time for not committing fully to the net zero by 2050, but what they've actually achieved incrementally yeah. that maybe don't get like the front page headlines are quite impressive. Yeah. So is India a place that you're seeing a lot of SPTI sort of I don't know commitments. Um, I don't know if that's why we still it, but... we're still working with our holdings on that. We don't okay. have a lot of uh, in my, in my portfolio. I think generally speaking, there's still some work to be done. But mm-hmm. I think that they will they will get better o- over time. That's I, that's without doubt. Um, and then I thought the um, what we perhaps would like to see more of is um, is is capital flow cross border. Uh, into emerging markets mm. for 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 funding climate uh, transitions um and and that is perhaps not as material as we would like it to be mm-hmm. and so that's something that we sh- we think should improve and then of course there's the general lack of agreement ultimately on how to phase out how to phase out fossil fuels and there are some countries out there who still are very committed to exploring um to to oil and gas exploration and production for example and so it's 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 a bit um mm. it's 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 not it's not easy but i think ultimately there's there's incremental improvement okay and um before i i, I let you go um do you do you have any contrarian convictions going into 2023 that you can you can share or i think china is has a key role to play in a sustainability portfolio i think that's my most yes contra- sort of anti- you, did, anti-consensus <laughs> it's view. funny because it, it keeps changing yeah you know last week that was you know one minute this year it's super contrarian yeah but then the second yes. that and then now pe- there's this rally because of the protest yes. so people yes. are kind of thinking oh w- which way will it go yeah but no matter which way the wind changes is, is what i'm taking yes. from what you're saying yes. you just believe resolutely yes. not you know politics aside changing circumstances aside you believe that china yeah has a a huge role to play absolutely and 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 let's let's remember yeah no matter let ignoring stock price movements and and all that yeah this you know very important it's so important for us to find businesses and there are plenty of them in china that contribute to a more sustainable development of the world and we we will not get there without china it's one of the largest economies of the world it's one of the most populated economies um and with the idea that we would not fund incremental improvement, whether it's financial inclusion or access to digital infrastructure or, or decarbonization mm. in a country like that is just absurd. And the also the other idea that other emerging market economies do not have challenges in terms of how they're run, mm. their human rights track records, um, how how individuals are treated within within these or minorities are treated within these countries how corrupt they might or might not be, uh, whether they've committed to climate net zero targets, et cetera. It, it's, it's very easy to think that, that there, aren't, there aren't issues. And then, that, well, then sort of the conclusion from that is fine. The, there are severe challenges in emerging markets, 
but that's where we that's where we that's where we get the capital can make a difference then right because mm -hmm. that's an opportunity both in terms of growth mm -hmm. but also as investors to work with companies to improve their externalities assessments mm -hmm. and then identifying the right companies that can deliver those returns and, and have that positive impact in emerging markets mm -hmm. um, from perhaps what sometimes is a low level in terms of yeah. um, areas being very underserved. So why not utilize that opportunity, which then is a is a win win, and not mm. and not walk away? It's it's eighty five percent of the world's population. Um, yeah, it's it's it, so that's my contrarian view. So one of the one of the thing one of the areas that we think are exciting in in China are, are related to are related to how how SMEs can be made more efficient and empowered, mm. and. Um, in these countries, SMEs account for 90% plus of private entities because um, these the, the developed markets tend to have more mid-sized, successful mid-sized companies and then larger mega-sized mega type of corporations. Whereas in EM, you tend to have some very large corporations and then a long tail of SMEs mm -hmm. who are big employers, contribute to GDP, but tend to be pretty inefficient. Um, and so any digital business that can help them right. become more efficient is, is one, a huge opportunity, but two, has a massive positive contribution, mm -hmm. whether that is giving them access to digital payments, uh, giving them access to, to, uh, to borrowing to loans mm -hmm. or, uh, or, or other solutions. It could be software, it could be different things, but that is, has a very pronounced positive impact um, uh, on, on, these, on, these on these companies. So that is an opportunity and that could be, that's an, that's Alibaba. So, you know, it's one of our largest companies, mm. but it also is, a, it's a huge enabler of SMEs. It's Mercado Libre in Latin America, another of these internet platforms. Yes. It's C Limited in Indonesia and also present in other parts of the world. These are, are enabling, um, these are businesses who enable SMEs at their core. That's the core of what they do. So that is, a sustainable contribution and an opportunity. And they, it's also the, the, the companies that have performed very poorly. So it is an opportunity as well. Um, and yeah, and, and then there will be other areas as well. So um, China has a number of, of, of areas that haven't reached uh, maturity and, um, and, and, these, and, and actually because these are platform businesses, uh, they contribute to, to different things. So Alibaba also contributes to, to cloud computing development and the, the, the digitalization of businesses more broadly um, in China, which, which is important for productivity. And um, um, so that is another positive effect that they have on the country's development. And then there will be standalone companies, like I mentioned, Glodon, that is the software business I talked about earlier that is a contributor to decarbonization um yeah and we, we we're quite excited about software more broadly in china software as because it was because of this lack of uh, digitalization among corporations there's there's an opportunity for chinese um, businesses to just to, to solve that to address that mm -hmm. and that is a, a, a multi-year opportunity for sure so those are a couple of the areas that we're excited about Josh, that's a nice note to conclude on, I think. And uh, so, Juliana, thank you so much for coming in. It was lovely to meet you. And uh, yeah. Thank you so much. No worries.